Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. This is your host, Pete Quinones. I invited Monica Perez and Brad Binkley from the Propaganda Report podcast to come back on the show. We are going to talk updates on coronavirus lockdowns and masks and hell, and we are going to talk about riots and Black Lives Matter and Are we ever going to see any kind of police reform? And then after that, we are just going to talk about random stuff, including the documentary, Monopoly on Violence. And then we might even talk a little bit about the Boston Marathon bombing, which is uh, Monica and I found out that it was one of the first things that we looked at where we were like, something isn't right here. So I think you're going to enjoy this a lot. And here are Monica Perez. And Brad Binkley. Monica, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing good. Brad, what's going on? Not a whole lot, man. Just living the dream. Oh, yeah. In Atlanta, we are definitely living the dream all the way back in stage one right now. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I want this is a weird week for me because half the week I'm going to be gone So I want to release episodes while I'm gone. But first thing I want to talk about is coronavirus, Caverna Hell, and then talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter, because you guys did an amazing (laughs) episode recently that I'm going to recommend to everyone, and I will link to. And I actually stole the idea of taking the audios that you had, and then Dave Smith and I did did a two-part episode on them. And then, you know, we might might do some other fun stuff to finish it (laughs) off. But first off... I said back in March when they started talking about lockdowns that by the middle of July, I thought that 50 to 60% of the people would still be wearing masks in public. And now in my estimation, from what I see in public, I would say it's closer to 90 to 95%. So what do you think is going on? I mean, you, I heard numbers today like Texas deaths are skyrocketing and just, I mean, what's true and what's not? Well, I'll I'll start off and say I've been in California this whole time, basically, and the mask thing has been mandatory for most of the time. I was in Riverside County, which was the first place in the country to go, mandatory masks, and I was just couldn't believe it. And then I, I rented a little office while I'm out here and they sent out an email that said, you are now required to wear a mask from the elevator to your office, according to LA County rules. But we ask that you not use medical grade masks because there is a shortage. So just use homemade masks or cotton masks. It lit- I mean, I read that as saying, don't use anything that could actually work because this isn't about that. And then a tweet sent me a study from 2015 from the National Institute of Health of England. You know, they have that, the socialized medicine, always trying to save money. And they said, there's a reason to believe that masks, even in a surgical environment, don't improve the outcomes and could even make things worse because they allow the moisture to coagulate and drip rather than aerosol. And we would like to do a study because it would save us like 8 million pounds a year. And, uh, but people just basically were heard for tradition and more study needs to be done on whether medical grade masks work in surgical environments. So 
this there every single solitary thing i've pushed back on there has been not single not a single scientifically valid proof that what they're saying is true and the policies they're applying to to respond to that is actually preventing the spread of COVID. And, and as you say, if this, whatever it is that they're saying COVID is, it's spreading uh, regardless. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on with the mask. They've turned it into a symbol, largely. They've, they're putting it on, they're painting it on Martin Luther King's face on murals in Atlanta, as though Martin Luther King made that choice to wear a mask. He didn't make that choice, they put it on his face. They're putting yard signs that say, with Martin Luther King on them, kind of like the, uh, the political yard signs vote for me, but instead it's Martin Luther King say, saying, I have a dream that you stay home. They're doing the same thing. They're putting it on Malcolm X. This is, this is a, they're trying to ingrain a symbol into the public that right now as people are identifying as if you wear a mask, then you, you are good. You are on the right side of things. And if you do not wear a mask, then you are evil and probably a Trump supporter. But with Trump putting the mask on the other day, I don't know if that's changing. Maybe they're trying to identify the dissidents by people who don't wear a mask. Uh, there's just so much to it. When it comes to the truth of it, even Fauci, Fauci back in like May on 60 Minutes said, he said, well, you, you, you know, there's no need to wear a mask right now. You don't need to wear a mask because you touch your face and, and unless you're a medical person, you don't. And then, you know, two months later, he's completely changing what he says about it. And I've taken my mom to the hospital a couple times and they require you to wear a mask. And it, it's hard for some people who have conditions to talk in, in them and to, and to communicate with the doctor. And so I had to move her mask with my hands every few minutes. So I'm touching her face where I otherwise would, I wash my hands after every time, but other people in that situation touch their face all the time. They sweat inside the mask. Kids who wear them are going to be dropping them on the ground. They're going to be filthy. I saw a kid swinging it around the other day. It was like banging into a, a dirty door. I, I think almost, I don't know what's true about what they tell us. I think they want to keep us confused. And I think that the mask is more about obedience and conformity than anything else personally. And I just heard one school district decided not to open up again in September because of the racial disparity in the vulnerability to COVID. So I wouldn't be surprised if not wearing a mask, just like it's associated with being a Trump supporter, is going to be a symbol of racism to not wear the mask. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was somebody I encountered on Facebook who was, I mean, her whole Facebook account is how proud she is that she wears a mask, how she's unfriended this many people because they, they're anti-mask and everything like that. I actually work a mile from the CDC. A lot of my clientele is CDC. And I had one today and she claimed to be a doctor at the CDC. And she told me, because I work in Atlanta and because my company mandates, I, wear, I have to wear a mask at work. And she said to me, thank you for wearing a mask. And that <laughs> set me, and that set me <laughs> off. Thank Ooh. you for your service. And, oh. and I sort of, and I sort of lost my shit. Oh no. And I looked at her and I said, we are standing outside. If you're a doctor, we are we are at least 10 feet apart from now right now. If you're a doctor, you know that these masks are useless. And she goes, yes, yeah, I know. I know. And she starts backpedaling. 
So, and I told her, and I said, and remember when you guys said in February that the masks were, didn't work and everything? She's like, yeah, well, a lot of things have changed and everything like that. I'm like, and then, I mean, I just start, I went off and yeah, I might lose my job because of this, but I don't really care at this point. I'm like, I'm, I'm completely fed up with this bullshit, especially these people that I deal with from the CDC who are like, they think they're heroes because they work at the CDC. And I told her, I said, I guarantee you there are at least 10 times as many people who are being hospitalized from alcoholism, suicide, uh, alcoholism, who have suffered suicide, who have suffered hospitalizations because of the lockdowns. I said, can you show me a peer-reviewed study right now that shows that the lockdowns have worked? Can you show me a peer-reviewed study right now that the mass... And she's like, oh, 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 well, you know, we just... There's so much we don't know right now. But, you know, what we know is um, if we didn't do all this stuff, I'm like, prove it. I'm like, you're going to... I know exactly what you're going to say right now. You're going to say, if we didn't do the lockdowns, if we didn't do the mass, things would be so much worse right now. And I said, prove it. And she has nothing. The thing with... The masks is, I, they absolutely contribute to hypoxia, which is one of the presenting issues for a COVID diagnosis. And then since they change the protocols, normally they would give oxygen to someone with hypoxia, but in SARS, when it was used for SARS, and they then ventilate people. And the death rate for people, for COVID patients on, on ventilators isn't like the 80% that you normally get. I think David Crow of Infectious Smith sent me something that was like in the high 90%. So you're basically, you're much better off. Well, I should say, it's basically guaranteed that you're going to die if they put you on the ventilator, certainly as far as the stats were up until that time. So they're putting the masks, which give you hypoxia. Hypoxia leads to the ventilator. I would say, I would like to see the study that says it actually does more good than harm. I think it actually does more harm than good in that case of wearing, not just the outside implications, but in the actual wearing of the mask, especially old people who already can have difficulty breathing. Everybody has an underlying condition who's dying from this. So is it bronchitis or is it um, emphysema or uh, our underlying respiratory? If you look at the cause of death year in and year out, respiratory illness is a one of the top 10 causes of death, if I recall correctly. So if, if those people are all burdened by the mask, it, that in itself could be spiking the death rates. Because I really question the death rates as a reflection of COVID. Oh, and you know, I'm sorry, Brad. I, I know you want to say something. She actually admitted to me. She said, well, you know, we do know that people, that deaths are being counted as COVID deaths that are people who are dying with COVID. So she started like, I guess after I like let just let loose on her, she started loosening up, up and being like yeah started fessing up and everything so um yeah i'm sorry brad go uh, it's a recipe for conflict also it's setting up not only adults but children especially as they're talking about reopening schools and what people are seeing in the news and the way it's being presented in the news is look at this horrible crazy anti-masker screaming at somebody in, in a, a store and then getting in a fight over it and they're always portrayed the person without a mask as just a homicidal lunatic basically so the children who are, are getting this interpretation either from the news or from their parents, they're going to go to school. And I know in some places in Georgia, they're saying the teachers are required to wear masks. For the students, it is highly suggested but not mandated, which they, they might as well mandate it because if they highly suggest it, then the people who don't wear a mask are going to get bullied probably by the students and the teachers. 
one of the reasons they don't want to have school go back into session is that they're worried about the teachers. They're worried about the administrators. And to, if that doesn't do anything to me, except shine a light on the fact that there are too many administrators. I mean, we know that <laughs> we know that in, I think it's in the last 30 years, it's like the, if you look at a graph of the amount of administrators to teachers, it used to be pretty level with, with uh, teachers just a little bit higher. And now administrators are like all the way up here. It's like, I think it's five to one or six to one administrators wow. to teachers. Too. Yeah. 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 And, and what's funny is, uh, here's, here's just a little anecdote. I've talked to a lot of doctors on my job and a lot of uh, health admi healthcare administrators on my job. Every doctor I've talked to has said, this is overblown. You don't need to wear a mask when you're driving in the car. You don't need to wear a mask <laughs> outside unless you're in like a real group, you know, unless it's really grouped together, like a concert or something like that. Not jogging, be, really exercising be, yeah, hard. Yeah. But ever, I've had administrators tell me that we're all going to die. Every <laughs> administrator kidding. that I've talked to is a it is just a bomb thrower that you know we're all and from from a, a friend of mine who's a doctor the administrators are the ones that are filling out the death certificates it's not the doctors so what does that tell you and they have different protocols it i told is, you yeah. did i tell you that when i went back and looked at the cdc data cdc has a provisional death count every week they come out and i it's hard to i couldn't maybe i'm not a great researcher, but I couldn't find a lot of just apples to apples, graphs and charts. But I did find an article that cited that uh, official data from 2019 that um, was basically deaths are higher in the winter than in the summer. And your average death per day is around 8,300. So it's maybe 8,000 in the summer, 8,500 in the winter is how I kind of did the math. And I've been following the provisional death data out of the CDC every week. And it's so far tracking. So the deaths this year are the same as the deaths last year. So people say, oh, that's because nobody's dying of like all these other things. And I would say, if nobody's dying of all these other things, then you could at any time save whatever X number of lives that is by locking everybody in their houses. So why are we doing it this way now? But also a lot of the people who aren't dying because they're staying in, first of all, will die, probably would die later anyway. It should start evening out by now. But there are plenty of people who will die who would not otherwise have died by not getting emergency care, by not having access to when the urgent cares were shutting down and people were afraid to go in, or even now, then you're going to have a whole pandemic of suicide. You can, I, I hate to say it, but I see that coming. They use that also in New York anyway, to justify that it is deadlier, that COVID is deadlier than the flu, because they were talking about how, we know it's deadlier because the number of people who have died in their homes in New York City is up like four times from last year. I'm like, that's because none of the other hospital services are available and all of them are staying home and dying. That's why. That's what they say. Why it looks like a pandemic is because you know people who are dying in their homes and you never know anybody who's dying in their homes. That's what uh, Andy, Andy Kaufman said. Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Oh, they said Andy. Andy. It Kaufman. is Andy Kaufman, but it's Dr. Andrew Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He oh, yeah. A fast one he, he does. He does make a joke of it, too. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, let's let's move on to the protests. Is it just me or no one's asking for answers? No one is seeking solutions. 
it's just at the point where we need to cancel Aunt Jemima. We need to take this statue down. No one's talking about like qualified immunity. No one's talking about um, reforming or uh, reforming police is such a weird one to me. I mean, I mean, I'm an anarchist. I know that policing is not going to disappear and we'll have private policing tomorrow. So something has to be done. But I've also talked to ex-cops and they're like, look, it's a bureaucracy that's beyond repair. It's so it's going to be so hard to fix. Um, So we really just we can really only hope. But um, I don't see this whole movement, you know, the movement as opposed to the org. That's my new favorite thing. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter is two totally different things. There's the org, which is run by insane Marxists. (laughs) And then there's the movement who, when you go to their website, when you go to to the movement's website, it has Patrice Cullors there mentioned as an advisor. Well, I thought that they were completely separate from the people yeah. on the ground. No, they're not. They're, they're activists, and their their goal is to obtain is to concentrate power to build an an organizational weapon that they can use as basically a hammer to beat their opponents into submission with. And they're they want to grow it to increase their own political power moving forward. That's why they don't ever give actual solutions. These activists they 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 give vague ideas of what a solution might be to hook people into the movement. And if they satisfy those goals, they actually solve problems they promised people they'd solve, then their power would dissipate and they they would fizzle out. They don't want that. So they're never going to solve problems. They they only exist if the problems exist and if they're agitated and Marxism seeks conflict everywhere it seeks conflict in society tries to amplify it and cause division and it's pulling the wool over all of these people's eyes i actually want to address the the answers that you were saying like how to solve the problem and i i want to approach it from what ron paul says about kind of how you privatize things or how you move out of a foreign policy situation, you just march them out or you just allow competition. So with the with the policing thing, I feel like you can absolutely, well, they say defund, not disband. And all that's doing is creating a vacuum for the feds to push down the funding from there. And you can see the way Trump talks about the, about education money, you do what we say or we stop the funding. So it's obvious what that's all about. But if you wanted to really talk about the answer, first thing you would I, I would say is that you absolutely have to restore Second Amendment rights, or I should say stop infringing on Second Amendment rights. And I mean all of them, the, from militia to the right to bear arms, the entire Second Amendment. If that were in place, you would definitely not need police at all. And then the other two things that police are actually the aggressors. So you, they have to stop being the aggressors in two ways. One is our property rights are not absolute, our private property rights. So you have I hate to say it, but like the Civil Rights Act was intentionally used. It's like uh, they used a valid cause, which was state enforced segregation. And then they they put the Civil Rights Act in, which began the process of infringing on private property rights, which extended to things like you can't allow people to smoke in your bar. So if the police are going to come onto your property to keep people from smoking on your bar, they're aggressing on you and you really can't defend yourself on that. And also the drug war. If if you are not allowed to sell drugs or do drugs, they're going to aggress on you. So if you eliminate those problems, you really, I don't think would even need, there would be very little 
there would be very little problems that you would have to address, which is why I loved in Monopoly on Violence a thousand things, but the Black Guns Matter organization, that's a fantastic organization because guns are the great equalizer. I try to tell my daughter, I'm like, hey man, I'd let you, if you were good with a gun and you had a gun, you'd have a lot more freedom in, in the neighborhood. I'd let you do whatever you want. Yeah, these organizations, they, they have, it's like they, it's a bunch of white people for the most part outside of some of the organizers that are going around telling other white people how they're supposed to hold the hands of, of, of black people and do things. But to me, it seems very insulting. It just seems like what, like I, the people that I know think it's all bull, bullshit, but I, I, I'm just. And George Soros just came out as investing $220 million in race-based organizations and criminal justice quote reform. Yeah. Which to mm -hmm. me, anytime somebody says criminal justice reform, all I want to hear is two things. I want no bail, no jail for any prohibitions. If it's not an inherent crime against person or property, no bail, no jail. And I have to say that I do, it makes me cringe because as a libertarian, I should take my liberties wherever. But the plea bargain thing, I feel like it's, you know, we have very few protections against this tyrannical state. And to fall on your sort of libertarianism, say, I have the right to give up my right to trial. It's just, uh, I'm not sure. I, I think that's a setup. And so I would like to see no, as you know, <laughs> plea bargains. You were but talking that's about, the kind of criminal justice reform I would like to see. You were talking about the, the cancel culture that's, that's kind of grown around this. I mean, it's been there, but it's really amped up lately. That only empowers the movement, the, this movement to keep going on. If, if they keep getting people to a pop, I mean, this is how they, prisoner of war camps, they, they have people come up and confess their sins and say, what I did was wrong. It was this, it was that. And I, you know, I, I pledged my soul to the Communist Party. And, and that, I see Drew Brees coming up and apologizing, saying what he did is wrong. I see the YouTubers coming out, playing their own videos, saying, here's my video from 10 years ago, and it's racist because of this, and then canceling themselves. And then the, the Washington Redskins, you know, if you, the name is bad, and they want to change it for the right reasons, that's fine. But when they're kowtowing and, and you know, bending a knee because they're getting the pressure from these activist organizations, they aren't ever going to get a break. They're, they're only going to be targeted again because they know that they'll bend the knee. So the way it stops is people got to stop being cowards. Well, this is the part where I tell you how you can support the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. You can go over to Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Mansrader. You can go to my website, freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash store. You can do it there annually. You can do it for fiat and you can do it for cryptocurrency or you can do a one-time donation at paypal.me forward slash Mance Raider. Thank you very much. It all reminds me of the, the books that have been written about Jesse Jackson, the way he's been doing business for 50 years where he'll go to a company and say, hey, you don't have enough black employees here. So what are we going to do about that? And normally what they do is they write him a check. <laughs> Did you read A Man in Full? No, I never read that. It was about Atlanta. It was um, What's-His-Face with the White Suit, who wrote Bonfire of the Vanities, wrote it. And it was it was absolutely looked to me like a stylized version of Jesse Jackson. And that's exactly how they did it. They yeah, just it, shook it, them down. They just shook extortion. people Extortion. It was pure extortion. 
there were stories, yeah, of white people sending their their black friends, and this is mostly their. So these are people they grew up with. So people on the same socioeconomic level as them, maybe even better off. You know, sending their their black friends five bucks on the cash app just because oh they feel God. bad. <laughs> and the, the black friends are sitting in the back going, I don't need any money. Yeah, right. Know? What the hell? <laughs> like, like, what is what? this? Is this a tip for being right. black? Right. Yeah. yeah. I also like, I think the voter ID laws are like that too. It's like, we understand that you can't. Did you ever see the video? It's like, yes, Mark. Did Dice. you ever see the, the one where they went into Harlem? <laughs> yeah, and they were like, so, so do you know where to get an ID? Yeah, it's like, right yeah, so are you street, some right kind there. of a-hole? Like, why do you, I <laughs> yeah. can't, you think I can't figure out how to get a driver's license? Yeah, it seems <laughs> well, so insulting. Well, you were talking about the whole thing about confessing your sins. That's North Korea. In North Korea now, they go around, and Michael Malice wrote about this in his book, where they, you have, they go to every city, and then you have to talk about anything that you've said that could possibly be against the dear leader and turn in anyone who has done something against against the people against the the collective and it's like um what's funny is what a lot of people don't realize is there are people in, in North Korea that like have money and they travel all the time but it's not like they can go and, they can't like defect because if they defect their family will be sent to concentration camps for like five generations and you know so it's like i mean i know that that's like extreme but the whole thing about how you have to confess your sins and everything like that i mean this is really weird and your the audios that you that you had brad that dave, dave and i really concentrated on was the fact of how many libertarians people who are supposed to be radical individualists have turned into collectivists and embrace this organization. And we've come, we came to the conclusion that the only reason is they do not want to appear as racist. Yeah. I think that's the whole, that's mm. the lever. That, that's the brilliance of using a statement that is a, a fact as a brand mm -hmm. for your organization that's really a Marxist organization. I read a book in the 50s, I think it was from the 50s or 60s, called Peace from the Wonderful People Who Brought You Korea and Vietnam. And the guy, he was an army guy, and he wrote about how, first of all, he said, we need to repudiate the UN treaty. It's unconstitutional, but the longer that we live underneath it, the more we, that like, it's really a legal concept. It seems like consent. People start to rely on it. We have to repudiate it. But the way that this world government was going to take over state after state was to make racism this huge crime and justify external um, uh, action on a state for that reason, like that cross-border reason. Of course, South Africa is an example of that. But uh, here too, like the George Floyd family wrote to the UN and asked the UN to come in and interfere in our, our legislation for that reason, it just becomes, and it's something that's so sympathetic. I mean, racism, is, bigotry is a crime against, it's a sin against the Holy Spirit. Like everyone recognizes that that's wrong and it's an easy way. And it's, it's very hard to prove that. I mean, if you are, even if you're of the same race, they can, they can accuse you of being self-hating or whatever. It's just, it's, it's so nebulous and it's inalienable. It's truly inalienable. Now, unlike your rights, which supposedly you can sign away, you can't, 
uh, you can't alienate your own identity. So it's something that you can't resolve. You can't, um, you can't atone for it. So how can you defend yourself? And then they can just, and of course you don't want to, you want to prove at about all costs that you're not one of those people who it's just offensive who right, yeah. be that kind of a person. And everything you say in defense, they turn around and you get, oh, you have a white wife and white kids. Well, and you have to tell us that? That just proves you're racist. So it doesn't you matter. You mean Garofalo. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you say. When Herman Cain was winning, she said that's because Republicans are so ashamed of their racism that they'll, they want to vote for a black guy to make them feel better. And I thought, well, so they're all going to vote for Obama or what? <laughs> like, is this not about ideology or is it well, about ideology? Well, here's another genius thing about all of this is that we know that, I mean, come on, real racism, real racist. How rare is that nowadays? I mean, we live, come on, we, we live in Georgia. I mean, how, right. how, what do you ever, come on, what have you, what have you heard someone say something like, I mean, I'm talking about not outside of a joke. I'm talking about something serious. I mean, when was the last yeah. time you heard someone say something racist? But the thing is, these people need this stuff to, to stay alive. They need racism to grow. And yeah. what better way mm -hmm. than to attack you know, the heroes of like tear down Thomas Jefferson or to make a real push for reparations? You know, Dave Smith says this all the time. He's like, you want a race war? You want to make more racists? Have a little thing coming out of their check saying, oh, this is going to black people for reparations. Did you, you, you should listen to the WSB show we did. It wasn't about reparations at all. The first call, the reparations was in the news that week. The first call was, uh, I think it was a chick, black chick said, reparations, like, I don't like you. I'm a liberal, but I just have to say this. Reparations will make everyone hate us. And for three hours, I kid you not, three hours, people, every single caller was an African-American from Atlanta, called in from every stripe, every ideological background, and said, we are against, everyone individually was completely against it. When we posted it on YouTube, someone came in and said, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like, uh, I guess a black activist, I don't know who she was, but she said, I, it is disgusting that you would pay all those people to call your show. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I was like, it's deer in the headlights. I was like, I don't know anything about this. You know, <laughs> I was like, wait, say what you want, but I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you, well, you're white and rich, Monica, so you can afford to do that. Yes. And, I, and yeah. I try to explain, like, no one in my family was even in this country. So did I volunteer oh, yeah. for this? And what about all the black immigrants who also volunteered to live in this society? Oh, yeah. my, my, Civil my, War. Earliest, my earliest relative came here in 1917 escaped russia in 1917 do you know what was happening in russia in 1917 <laughs> pogroms <laughs> well, well, yeah no the well, revolution maybe the same yeah, thing yeah but also i think if it was if you want to come from a racial point of view yeah, yeah. people escape for that reason yeah. you, you, and then you my dad said russia then to us now just we're at a little slower pace than they, they were <laughs> and the outside influence the yeah. fact that it is that it's astroturf is yeah. also reminiscent of not only the Russian Revolution, but I might argue the French Revolution. French Revolution Isn't that too. where the Illuminati got its uh, got its roots to oh, start to grow? The way they talk about the rich is, I mean, it's you might as well have Robespierre up there talking. Yeah, I mean, but, let's but, build but, the guillotine right now. But yeah, but who are? <laughs> but who? 
this is what drives me crazy. I the mean, leaders this, are rich, though. That's the thing. But like the, <laughs> yeah, they know. focus on the rich as like people who pay income taxes, and that just makes me absolutely insane. Because everyone who's paying like fifty percent taxes, state, local, and federal together, are working their asses yeah, off. It's the middle class. Yeah, it's the, it's now it's <laughs> it feels like the upper middle class because they're big numbers. But then you have to live in the city. You have to go to private schools because the inner city schools don't work. And, and you just and have, if you go to private school, you're still paying for public schools. Yes, exactly. So the whole thing is set up to be this tremendous burden on the middle, the educated middle class, and the the idle rich don't pay one cent of income tax. So it's, it, they, they talk that talk, but they, that is that, that's what we were talking about earlier. It's that gov- corporate governmental continuum that I think I made that up, but I think I'm going to find that in the new libertarian manifesto. You are going to find that in the libertarian manifesto. <laughs> that's what, how I felt about monopoly on violence. There was like five things. I was like, I said that, I said that. And then I realized, so I love it. I love when philosophy, my philosophy, my insights are validated by people I respect. Not even if I just ask the question and they ask the same question, I feel validated. But when the answer is the same, I feel not only validated myself, but I feel like the ideology is internally consistent and coherent and you can puzzle it through. It's like, I just, I feel like it's, it's um, there's an objective truth to it that you can all arrive at from no matter what angle you come from. And uh, so when I, so I'm exhilarated when I see other people. I just loved the documentary, by the way. I really loved it. And I feel like it's such, it's not only a gateway to people who want to understand what it could be without the, you know, answers all the questions like, but who would whatever, or has it ever happened? Or give me an example. It answers all those questions for the beginner. But I also found that it validated so many of the deeper thoughts that I had been working with. But anyway, so I have to have to go back and read Konkin and, uh, get well, to that stuff. Well, I will say that you were one of the first people who donated to, you know, the crowdfund. So thank you. And oh, I'm glad you. that, um, you know, I, I know that at that point you must've been like, uh, I don't really know what they're going to do and everything. <laughs> but um, but I, I just I, thought it was going to be libertarian 101, which has value, but it was kind of market anarchy number one, uh, 101, which just, you know, really, I, I just said, a lot of it's history a in there. Yeah, a lot I of love history the history. Oh my and, gosh, um, I I already bought two books out of the out of the people you were interviewing, and I just uh, it was James C. Scott and who else? Um, Michael Humer. Oh, Michael Humer. Oh, against oh, consent. Oh, oh, that book. Well, political his authority. book. Yeah, yeah. The the problem of political authority. Yeah. that is a must. I mean, it's like it's like going back. It's like a more I'm not going to say scholarly, but a more updated version of like, um, like Etienne de la uh, mm-hmm. Boutier. Boutier. Yeah. Boutier. Yeah. Boutier. yeah I, it's so Boutier. many people. It's B-O-E-T-I-E. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's like an updated version of that, but just expanded. And that really is one of the gem books that a lot of people don't know about. It's amazing. I mean, that guy. It's going to. It's going to irritate me because it's so it, the way he was explaining it was so self-evident that it's inherently unjust, like everything. But I'm at the point where I have finally, after eight and a half years on ra- on conservative radio, where you would think that they would defend the Constitution no matter who's in office. When they stopped and this stuff came down under Trump's watch, I'm really ready to just walk away. I don't ten trillion dollars of stimulus. I'm like, okay give to Caesar what Caesar. I don't want any of that. I don't know how to step off, but I finally, like the scales fell off my eyes to realize that in order to be 
uh, to have liberty, you have to be independent. So you really have to take personal action and yelling at a system. It's like what Binkley was talking to Bellamy about. They move the goalposts, protesting doesn't do it. In order, you're yelling at a system that is inherently unjust from the very first bricks, like Michael Humer is obviously going to just uh, explain irrefutably in that book. It's, it's going to be too much for me to take, but I mean, this city girl does not want to learn how to grow trees, but I think I'm going to have to. You ready to go get some uh, land in, in North Georgia with me, uh, I, Brad? I kind of want to. Yeah. Brad, yeah. you want to get some land in North? Hey, you I've need, been, you need, I've been you thinking need water. about it lately. Oh, My yeah. husband wants to move to Texas, but there's no water there. I have some friends that have they they bought some land in Tennessee, North Georgia. They're 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 uh, hardcore going in on it. You wouldn't believe how many people are t- sending me pictures of their homesteading, write to me about their pigs and their chickens. People are already listening to the show. It's like, what? Where where have I been? It's like, well, you've yeah, been I'm, in the city. <laughs> I'm actually. Um, we're doing this on Monday. The what the hell's today's date? The thirteenth. The thirteenth. Yeah. yeah. And tomorrow is Jack Spierko, who does a survival podcast, who's that's a, that's a podcast if you want to learn about homesteading and having ducks and having chickens and um, permaculture and everything. I mean, he's been doing this podcast for 12 years. He asked myself, Vin Armani, John Bush, basically a bunch of people who are agorism a- advocates. And we're going to do like a super podcast with like five or six of us, uh, two hours a week. And um, tomorrow's our first, we're recording our first episode tomorrow. So it's just going to be like an introductory, what we're going to do and everything. And it's going to be about, it's going to be all about solutions about the whole premise of it is if we could start over civilization today, how would we do it? I, I'm, I want you to answer a question that is not, it's more in the here and now, which is, if you would, at some point in your super show in the future, um, my fear is, is the Ruby Ridge Waco problem. Like, you know, I can do it. I can learn how, if I get good at what I'm doing, they are going to chop my trees down. Like the only, my only hope is to be pitiful at it. (laughs) You know, my only hope of podcasting is to really never hit that critical mass where there's like, oh shit, people are listening to her. It seems like right now, the only way to do something like that, where you have a compound is to be leftists. If you're leftist, they'll leave you alone. But if you're any kind of right of center, you know, look at, look at Ruby Ridge. Okay. Randy Weaver, I think he was living in Ohio with his wife, former military, decided that there was a race war coming and he didn't want any part of it. So they went to Idaho. They were like a half an hour away from the Canadian border. They're up on this mountain, um, self-sufficient. And I mean, the guy was, his beliefs, I mean, he was a thought criminal. You know, he was one of these people who thought that white people were superior and everything. But so there was this Aryan Brotherhood kind of thing that was there, but he wouldn't join. Yeah, I guess he I just was. He, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was. He, he was. He didn't okay want to change to, anybody. He just yeah, wanted he, to be left alone. He just wanted to be left alone, and then you know they framed him. Basically, the ATF framed Absolutely. him. Framed him. And, they gave him the wrong um, court date. And you know what's the craziest thing is all these leftists. They're like, you know, if you don't like what we're doing, go live in the woods by yourself. And everything. It's like, well, that's what he did. And you yes. went there and you killed his wife and you killed his son. You killed his dog. You know, and then Waco, 
you can't same even people. call Waco right wing. Half of them were minorities. Half of them were black and Hispanic. I remember when it happened, they were saying that they were that they were a white separatist group. Half of them were black and Hispanic. It's like most people don't even know that. So you know? what makes what would make an organization left? No guns, because that's the thing. Is that oh, I, yeah, I thought the be, solution was yeah. guns. Well, well, and you're saying to, it's the guns are the problem. Yeah, it has to be like your your typical hippie dippy commune. But of course, those never work out for right. any length of time because you know, I mean, too much pot. Well, I don't know if it's that. I think I <laughs> no, think it's just I, that I think everybody so. decides pot is that they for can't, everyone. Every, some the illusion is shattered. They don't need. They don't need to work. It's like you heard the whole story about Vermont and Bernie Sanders getting kicked out of communes in the seventies because he wouldn't work. He would go to these communes and he was like, oh, I'm just going to sit around and do nothing. And they're like, um, bye, <laughs> get out. And I, I think that's what ends up happening. It's not like, you know, economic calculation, Mises economic calculation problem. I think it's just that people are like, oh, well, you know, any, you, it's you work, possible you know? that any small community functions like that because you just any anything where you can keep an eye on each other. It's just human nature. You don't need an ideology. You don't need a structure. I did derail the conversation, though. My apologies. Also, to oh uh, no, this uh, I, I know mean, you hey. wanted to. Well, I mean, <laughs> stick it to me and my uh, crazy well, theories. Well, I also told I, I also told you that it was like you know it's like um on a week when I'm going to be away half of the week at the Mises Institute. Um, yes, that, always fun. That um yeah so. This is just going to be one of those shows. I think we were serious enough talking about COVID and talking about yes, the, yes, the protests okay, at that okay, point. Okay. So, sure. but um, I want to say one thing about your survivalist podcast. I, I would start maybe, I think you might have another documentary on your hands. I would start uh, getting some B roll footage of some of those shoots, re recordings. It's good timing for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be mostly, I think what, what I'm going to bring to the table mostly is good questions. I'm one of those people who is like, I mean, if you want to talk about survivalist stuff, I mean, I guess I can talk We're about starting, guns, starting over guns. from the beginning. I mean, that's a great yeah, premise. Yeah. 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 Starting over from the beginning. That is a good premise for a documentary. Um, we have so many good ideas for documentaries and it's just like, uh, it's like we, we really, we, we have to expand our uh, company at this it point. It was so well done. The monopoly on violence. Like who is the, was it truly collaborative? Was there one? And I have to shout out to JJ Boogie. I love the music. I thought it really set the tone scene after scene, but what was there a, a driving creative force, a vision, or did you all, do you feel like it was truly a collaboration? Well, it was a collaboration in the question writing, deciding who we wanted to interview. Uh, there were a couple people that they wanted to interview that I didn't. I mean, I knew who James C. Scott was, but I didn't really know that he was like this preeminent anthropologist. Oh, and then I just um, Max, what he was Max Borders talking about panarchy. Um, that was something that um, Chris wanted to do. Chris ended up directing and editing yes. it. So. Chris put it all together. Panarchy, so he was that, the one who, yeah. That was just a a throwaway line in Heinlein's um, The Moon is a Harsh, Harsh Mistress, The Doctor. Remember The Doctor? I, I probably haven't read it in 20 years, but he just says, why do you have to... Why do you have to divide it like this? Why can't I vote for my guy and then get my guy? And I and I and when he says panarchism, I was like, oh, of course, because almost not as soon as he said that. I thought, oh, almost nothing is physical. I don't actually need the cops or any, almost nothing is physical. 
everything is just how you, it's just contracts mm-hmm. and sure. marriage and all it's that all it, stuff. It, it's all contracts. Everything yes, is a contract. It's insurance. It's just yeah. insurance. And of it's, course, yeah. then, you, then it's just private enterprise. It was just great. I loved it. it really satisfied my soul. But, you know, but a bunch of things just fell into our laps, like the, the section on Chiron, Mexico. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I there's saw this little, Brad, there's this little anarchist enclave in Mexico and the guy had the right answer. They were asking him like, why does it work? And he said, well, there's absolutely no crime. And for one reason, and I thought, gee, I don't know, like everybody's, you know, going to stand strong. And he said, cause you don't know which of us has a gun. And I was like, <laughs> That's the truth. That is the truth. That's the great equalizer. And that documentary, that part right there, just I saw on Twitter that somebody had done a documentary, had gone to Chiron and made a documentary because I knew about Chiron, but I had never I'd seen a little bit of Berwick and uh, Lugrinkowski going down there. But when I saw this documentary, I immediately got in touch with the documentary filmmaker and I said, can we use part of it? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank goodness and they I, already won their court case or you'd be yeah. shutting them down with any publicity would shut them down. You have to win the court case first. Yeah, but they, um, I, from from uh, Luke and Jeff's video is they're very, um, they have borders. Okay, so they have a wall. Yeah, but well, what, you have to. But, but the thing that they, you know, but it's private property. But what, the the reason they have a wall and the reason why they check everybody who's going in there is there's two people they want to keep out politicians and the cartel that's the two people they don't want politicians or cartel in there and that's the only thing i mean if you if you go there and you're like hey you know i saw you in a documentary or something can i come in and you know i'll, I'll spend money and everything because yeah, they right. talked about they that you know that. it's like yeah. we got to get businesses in here yeah, and everything yeah. and yeah, that's very promising. It's very promising, and I and I, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, I have to go. Well, I, I know they were trying to set up an enclave like that in Costa Rica, and the government allowed it. And then there was so much external pressure to not allow it because, of course, if you allow it, then you have the example that everybody wants. Nobody will believe in market anarchy until they see an example, and or just a free society until they supposedly see an example. And that, that's why I'm so excited about James Scott's book, because I think that it's replete with examples. Is it uh, Against the Grain or The, the Art against of Not Being grain. Governed? Okay. He has another one that's great. It's called The Art of Not Being Governed. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'll have to get yeah, that. It was funny because when I went to buy Against the Grain, it was side by side with a book by the same title about gluten-free cooking. So I now have two <laughs> books called Against the Grain. <laughs> well, um, we're almost up against time. Yes, yes. And luckily, I didn't get you to talk about anything that could get you canceled. Well, that's but, um... good. But I, I, some of the stuff that I think is so crazy that it would keep me on, you know, it would get me like my dinosaur thing or the moon landing. <laughs> so we'll save that for next time. Well, I'm looking... I'm looking at Brad right there and his, you know, the flat earth is in his background. So um, it's around you know, earth. I'm out no, here in space. That's a platter right there that I don't uh, see. I see. I don't is see a globe. Earth? I see a platter. Well, I, I don't, just, yeah. I don't uh, subscribe to the flat earth theory. And I don't think that Paul McCartney is dead. So there are some conspiracies. I do not believe, but. Uh, what about Jeffrey Epstein? 
He's I don't know. Singer. I think there's an island somewhere for Epstein and Weinstein. He'll probably end up there. I do think Elaine Maxwell is dead, though. I think she's been dead for a while. I've said a long time ago that we would never see a picture of her, a current picture of her alive again, and we still have it. Although when I said that about Shahar Sarnayev, then a deep fake came out. So now you might see one of her. I just want to see her in prison with guards who are wearing masks. They can oh, yeah. digitize it all. Princess yeah, Leia's been dead for years and she's still yeah, in every right. Star Wars movie. That's right. Good point. One of these days, I have to have Monica on to talk about the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh, I'll refresh my memory and because... try to find all the dead links that are in my freaking <laughs> groundbreaking research that got took well, down. Well, because up until that time, you know, I was a libertarian. I would say I was an anarchist for, I would say, seven years at about that point. But I wasn't like conspiracy theories didn't interest me. I had no interest in them. But there were videos coming out about that, about the, the the marathon bombing a day, two days after it happened. And it was like the one that that really got me was. There was a crowd um, all the streets are lined and they had a crowd just sitting like there's a bunch of people just sitting on the sidewalk and everything. And when the bomb, you can hear bombs go off and there's a guy. I saw this video of a guy standing behind some people who are sitting on the line there and he just pulls this blanket out and goes like this and like throws it like this and powder just goes all over the place and starts covering everybody. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then I, I just went into a hole of like uh, studying that and like figuring out, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. And then it just life, life jumped in and I, I stopped. That was the turning point for me too. I was absolutely not a truther. Up to that point, I was still honestly on the air saying, I don't think 9-11 was an inside job. I don't, you know, I just didn't because I didn't you think- You said that would. on the air before? Yeah, I believed it. Yeah. I did not think 9-11 was an inside job. That. Yeah, until the Boston Marathon bombing. And the reason I never believed in 9-11 was that I didn't believe they would do that. But when I saw the Boston Marathon bombing, which funny enough, I never pursued the hoax line at all. I just knew that the Cernayabs were closely related to or uh, worked for the CIA. And I said, okay, these guys are, are doing this. And, and I thought people really died. So that's what, and maybe they did, but that's what convinced me that 9-11 was an inside job. It's like, oh, they would, so they do, and they do. It was no longer you know, a theoretical so, problem. So you remember all the videos of like the people who like allegedly lost legs and everything yeah. there, but then like you see pictures of them and then pictures started showing up to show that they had already lost yes. limbs and everything yeah. like that. But yeah, I never, I, I, yeah. I went down that rabbit hole hard after that. Cause and and I, and like I said, I, I wasn't, cause I, I stopped. I said, yeah. you know, it was like life took over and I was just busy yeah. and I'm just like, I'm not going to pursue this any further. And I haven't gone back and looked at it and I probably pursued. most of that stuff is gone. So. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But I pursued the CIA aspect and the fact that they were both of those guys were taken in alive. So or at least the, the Tamerlan was taken in alive and the cops shot him and ran him over. And they said the brother did it. But there were tons of eyewitnesses. There was a video on CNN of him being arrested. The naked man. Yeah, I was about and, to say that video. Yeah. Didn't I Putin, that. 
didn't Putin at some point say, "Hey, you got these two guys here who um, you <laughs> yeah, really need to be watching out them. about." That's why they killed him because the Sarnayevs were their uncle was the married to the daughter of the the CIA chief of Kabul, Afghanistan. So Graham Fuller and the guy was Uncle Ruslan Sarni, and then he so uh, they were infiltrating Dagestan or. Uh, they were they were talking about radicalizing Islam for you know the oil war or whatever, and Dagestan, Chechnya. That's what these guys were involved in, and it was in the CIA documents. And everything that Tamerlan was at the Jamestown Institute over there getting trained, and I think Russia said, "Hey, we've made your spies get them out of here, out of Chechnya or whatever." And then since they were no good to the CIA, they were sacrificed. They were sacrificed to the Boston Marathon bombing. That's how they were killed in something that became this big psyop. Are they both dead or is one of them in? in oh, well, they say Jahar is still alive, but I don't believe yeah. that at all. Because I saw a picture of him dead and I was like, he's obviously dead. We're never going to see a picture of him again. And we didn't. Have and you the ever... people at court said that it looked like a different person. People who knew him before. It's like, I don't even believe that's the same guy. And it's like, yes, it's not. I, I don't think it is either. Have you ever heard the Chris Kyle uh yeah. theories and everything about that I, I haven't really heard about it but it just stand stood to reason that Kraft was at the boston marathon bombing and chris kyle was killed under extremely weird circumstances shortly mm. before that so i assume they told him all about it and he didn't go for it so they killed him i assume but i don't really know but that's not a coincidence in my opinion yeah that, that always seemed really weird to me but all right i'm gonna let you guys go oh, so yeah. pl- plug away plug anything we'll you want to it <laughs> oh yeah well we do a daily show which i think is absolutely a must for anybody who wants to stay informed but does not want to listen to the mainstream media it's 30 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth liberty and justice you can find it under the propaganda report and any of your podcasting feeds. and the prop report.com as well what do you think you- brad anything else yeah uh you can find me at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter, and you can find Monica at the Monica at, at the Monica Press Show at Monica Press Show at Monica me. Perez Show. Yes, I tweet constantly. And That's you all. also have a fifteen-minute extra show for Patreon oh, yes. supporters. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I never, I never play that stuff. But if you want more, we also have cocktail parties, a little bit of early release. You can I was the pa- first guest at the yeah, first was, cocktail That's party. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's a disappearing patron party. You have to be there because we are not putting a record. But every day you can have 15 extra minutes of the daily news. We let our hair down a little bit more after that. You can get that at patreon.com slash propaganda report. Yeah, I'd say it's about as wild as a party can get virtually. And if uh, Pete, why don't you tell, why don't you give a plug so that we can put you in our feed and then our listeners can go to your feed? Well, you um, free, free Mammy on the Wall podcast, patreon.com forward slash Mance Raider, and go to the Monopoly on Violence.com. And there's a free download in 720p there. There's a 4K download, which is 10 bucks. And you can donate to the cause because. We aren't making any money off this documentary. We decided that we weren't going to sell it. We weren't going to do, we're going to keep total control of it so that, you know, I just had the idea that if you sold it to somebody, they could shelve it. It's great. It's uh, just share it too. It's so great. I mean, I think we're getting close to 70,000 views on, uh, on YouTube. 
Awesome. Well, I it should have seven hundred thousand by the end of it. Well, it would change the world if it did. Well, and um, we're we uploaded it to Amazon this week, and they kicked it back because we had a pro- with an encoding problem with the subtitles. So we're getting the subtitles fixed, and then we're going to get it up on Amazon. Um, after we have it on Amazon for a little while, then it's time to submit it to Netflix. Oh my gosh, that'll be! But awesome. Amazon's already okay wait. with it. Amazon's fine. With, you know, it'll wow. be it'll it's be great. there free for Prime customers. If you're non-Prime, it's going to be a nominal, probably five bucks or something like that. So. Awesome, Monopoly on Violence. I loved it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. You have a good evening. Always a pleasure. You too. Thanks for having us. I want to thank you for tuning into the Free Mammy on the Wall podcast. I want to thank Monica and Brad for coming on. That's it. Be back in a few days with another episode. Take care and bye. Freedom.